0: You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. We've been in the book of Acts recently, and over the last year we've been looking at it as how to do church. And you say, well, Pastor Dan, I've been going to church for a long time. I know how to do church. I suppose we could all say that. We all know how to do church, but do we know how to do it the way the New Testament indicates we should do it? the way that the early church did it, the way that the Christians did it when Jesus sent them out on a mission to do his work. And that the church is to be a powerful and dynamic uh, organism that changes the world for God's glory. I think there's a lot that we can learn as we go back to the book of Acts to determine how we should function as a church, what we should do as a church. One thing we see about the church in the book of Acts is that they knew what their mission was. And isn't that interesting, too, because as we've, if you've been in different kinds of churches, whether the church you grew up in, the church that you served in, or even as you've kind of traveled through life, you recognize that sometimes the mission of the church changes from place to place you go. And sometimes the church gets bogged down in things that it probably shouldn't get bogged down in, whether it be the colors of the wall or the colors of the carpet. We get kind of in the weeds a little bit when it comes to doing what god wants us to do so every so often we need to be reminded what's god's purpose for us what's his mission and there was one mission that the uh, church in the book of acts had and it was the command of jesus to preach the gospels to be his witnesses and to make disciples that was the mission of the church and they were fully committed to it and they were about the business of the kingdom They had one goal and one purpose, was to do the business of the kingdom of God. This morning, I want to ask us the question, what business are we about? Individually and corporately, we should be about bringing the good news of Jesus to the world that we live in. We should be about the business of the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about the things that you see on YouTube where people make a business of the kingdom. You know what I'm talking about? Buy this book, buy this handkerchief, buy this anointing oil, do this, and send me money, and I'll pray for you, and that sort of thing. That's making business of the kingdom of God, but it's not doing the business of the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? Is that clear? So we need to be about the business of the kingdom of God. Competition, which is really no competition, and a collision course with the devil's work and his business in this world. So, the work of God and the work of the enemy, the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness, we're in competition, but it's really not a competition with what the world has out there. But yet, there are many times where the church, uh, in America, the church globally limps along trying to be able to gain uh, people to believe and to trust and to put their hope in God, and it really shouldn't even be close when you think about it. It shouldn't even be... Competition shouldn't even be as close as it is. Considering what the living and active New Testament kingdom of God is like in the book of Acts, there should be no comparison and nothing that even comes close to doing what it does. Our study finds us back in Acts 19. So if you can turn there in your Bibles, uh, turn to Acts chapter 19 in your Bibles. We'll be looking at the last part of that chapter. And if you don't have it, that's fine too. Uh, We have it on the screen behind us. Incidentally, by the way, if you are in need of a Bible and you don't have one, please let us know. We'd be happy to provide you with one. We'd be happy to order one for you. We want you to be fully equipped with the word of God wherever you go and whatever you do. As was often said to me in Bible college, you know, back in the days before you had a digital version of the Bible or you had it on your phone in your pocket or you had it on your tablet, you know, you'd carry your Bible around with you. And the the question is, you know, Hebrews 4 says the Bible is sharper than any two-edged sword. God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword. So it was always brought up to us saying, you know, if you're going to go into battle, did you forget your sword? Did you forget to bring it with you? And we need to have the word of God with us on a regular basis. So looking at Acts 19, the little background here, Paul is reunited with Timothy and Silas in Ephesus and Erastus as well. And Paul had two years of fruitful ministry in Ephesus, seeing many get saved Many baptized, many delivered, uh, many changed by the power of the gospel. But then something interesting happens. It begins to create problems for the local economy. Go figure, right? Who would have thought the kingdom of God would upset the local economy? But that's exactly what we see happen in Acts 19, verses 21 onwards. So let's take a look there together. And we're going to walk through this passage of scripture. Hopefully you're following along with us at home if you're watching at home. But we want to take a look at like how the kingdom of God puts the kingdom of darkness out of business. Or at least it should, anyway. And so we should look at it that way. So let's take a look at verse 21 to start with. It says, When these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the Spirit that when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, I have been there, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered to him. Timothy and Erastus, and he himself stayed in Asia for a time. I want you to notice something, that Paul uh, purposed in his spirit, purposed in the Holy Spirit, that he was going to do what God wanted him to do. He had the ministry before him on his mind, but he also looked ahead for a way to preach the gospel in Rome, in Caesar's household, in the seat of the Roman Empire. So consider that, that Paul was very much engaged in the moment, engaged in the ministry in Ephesus, but he also had purpose in his heart that I'm going to do what the Spirit of God wants me to do, and I'm going to focus my ministry on what is ahead of me. And his heart was to go to Rome. Now, every Jew and Christian did not want to go to Rome because Rome was the seat of the emperor. Rome was the the center of persecution. You know, to be a Christian, Christians were often fed to lions in the Colosseum, they were offered and used as sport. Uh, even Nero himself is said to have used Christians in lighting his temple, lighting his uh, garden dining area by burning them at the stake. So to go to Rome was not on like the travel itinerary for most Christians. All right. That wasn't like, you know, I like to take out Italy sometimes. I heard they have good flatbread there. It wasn't on their agenda at all. But Paul says, I, I have purposed in my spirit. I'm going to go there. Because I want to reach those who have not yet heard. I want to reach even Caesar's household. What an ambitious goal in his heart. Now, he didn't know necessarily that he was going to need to go there through prison and through uh, being uh, on trial in different situations. But he had purpose in his heart that that's what he was going to do. And what we see here is a collision course of two empires. Two kingdoms, two worlds. Paul did not shy away from that but rather he wanted to bring this collision course together of the kingdom of God with the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of Rome at work in the world. So, But as he's planning to do this, trouble arose in Ephesus. Verses 23 through 28. It says, at that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. Now, if you don't know what the way is, the way is referred to Christianity. It's one of the many uh, expression that's used to describe followers of Christ, the way to salvation. So sometimes you'll see in the book of Acts, uh, Christianity referred to as the way, or followers of Jesus referred to as the way. Verse 24. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. And he called them together with the workers of similar occupation, and he said, men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade, And he said in verse 26, Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout all of most of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that that, uh, the gods that are made with human hands are not gods at all. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all of Asia and the world worshipped. And when all the crowd heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians! Great is Diana of the Ephesians! This guy's working up this crowd into a frenzy over the fact that Paul is cutting into their business. Troubles in Ephesus revolve around Satan's business, the enemy's business, the business of the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of darkness specializes in the business of superstition and fear. You should write that down as a Christian. Right now, you should write that down. Superstition and fear is not a tool of the kingdom of God, but rather an instrument of the kingdom of darkness to bring about fear, retreat, division, all sorts of things come about through these things. The kingdom of darkness specializes in the business of selfishness profiting off of others, or taking advantage of others for the benefit of oneself. Money and greed are at the the base of what Demetrius is trying to do here. The business of the kingdom of darkness specializes in false religion, idolatry, and the worship of other things other than acknowledging who God is. So when we understand and recognize the strategies of the kingdom of darkness, when we understand the business model, if you will, of what the devil is trying to sell us, we should understand and come against that and be resistant to it. These silversmiths become angry because Paul's preaching has caused people to abandon their idols. Paul's preaching was so significant and so impactful. His witness was so uh, amazing to that region that it caused the local businesses and the local idolaters and, and the temples of worship that people forsook those entirely and they were noticing hey you know what our fourth quarter profits are down demand for idols is down we're not selling as many on our etsy store as we used to sell and amazon is not pushing them anymore we've got to do something we've got to change what's happening in the world that we're living in today now, who is this Diana? This Diana, or Artemis of the Ephesians, was a fertility goddess. And this is interesting because cultures often worshipped fertility gods because they believed it would make them prosperous and productive. This is like a, a, something that many cultures fell into. And if actually you go into the Old Testament, you'll recognize that when the Israelites worshipped the Canaanite gods of Baal and Asherah, They were fertility gods, gods that would promise that their crops would be abundant or that they would have many children or that they would be profitable in business. Does it sound familiar to you today? Does that sound anything like America to you? Does that sound anything like the culture of what's being pushed on you today? Because people are worshiping productivity and prosperity in a lot of ways in a way that kind of puts itself over the worship of God. They felt like if they worshipped these gods, their lands would be abundant, their families would be full of children, their business ventures would be profitable. And so these Ephesians would have small silver statues of Diana in their homes. They'd have these small little statues of the goddess. and They'd put it on their uh, mantel place or they would set up a little shrine and they would burn incense to it and they would go to the temple to worship Diana. Now Demetrius was one of the head silversmiths in his guild who specialized in making these idols, and he begins to create a riot because the coming of the kingdom of God is putting his kingdom out of business. The business of the kingdom of God is putting the kingdom of darkness out of business. Now, isn't it interesting that wherever the apostles went, it brought change. Wherever the apostles and the disciples preached, it brought change. Uh, I remember in a portion of the book of Acts, it says... uh, regarding the coming of the disciples and the apostles to an area, they would say, these men who have turned the world upside down are now coming here. And there's a degree of alarm because they were saying, like, we don't want whatever it is they're bringing. We don't want what they're they're promoting. And what they're promoting is the kingdom of God. But it changed cultures. It changed people's mindset. It changed the way things were. We see in Acts 16, Paul and Barnabas are thrown into prison because uh, they said a, Paul and Silas are thrown into prison because they set a fortune teller girl free from an evil spirit. So Paul and Silas are traveling about, and this fortune teller is following them and saying, "These men are servants of the Most High God." And it was the kind of press that you didn't want. You know, it's nice that you have a hype man that kind of says, "Hey, look, these people are great. This is what they're doing," but probably a demon possessed fortune teller girl. Tell is not the press that you kind of want if you're preaching the kingdom of God. So Paul sets this girl free from an evil spirit. Coincidentally, she also loses her ability to tell the future as well. And people get mad at her. The owners of this slave girl get mad at, at them and have them thrown into prison. They are beaten and thrown to prison. Earlier in Acts 19, we read that because of Paul's preaching... People in Ephesus who practiced magic and sorcery and astrology, it says that they brought their books to the the center square of Ephesus and they burned all of them, worth 50,000 drachmas or $180,000 in today's money. All of that is being brought to the center and burned and consumed. You uh, You can see that it's starting to affect the local economy, that those who profited off of these books of magic and these profited off of slaves and injustice are all of a sudden finding themselves in a bad place. Now we have Demetrius, the metal worker now, complaining about the idol business being affected in Ephesus. Because you know what? People no longer saw a need to worship the goddess anymore. Instead, they chose to worship Jesus. And wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? If somehow we were able to be instrumental in the lives of someone, that they would stop worshipping the things they consider so important in this world and start worshipping Jesus and following him and trusting their lives and their future to him. What a difference that would make. The preaching of God's word always works against the kingdom of darkness and the business that profits from it. Changing lives, changing families, changing cities, changing regions. That's the New Testament church. How we got to where we are today, I don't know. How we became something like a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy, I don't know. You ever photocopy something? You know, we use everything. We have our copies for music when we play on Sunday. But You ever have an old song that you've copied and copied and copied and copied? Or you work at a job that they've taken a form, they've copied and copied and copied. And And it's got those little fleck marks in it, and it's kind of cockeyed, and it's not really straight. And you could tell where somebody whited it out and, you know, reused the form, and you're like, is this the form, really? You know, you go to a, 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 uh, you know, state or local government office, and you're like, this is is the form, really? This is what you got for me? Because the copy doesn't look, it looks like a, a very poor copy of the original. And I feel like in some ways that if we don't get our focus back on what the Book of Acts is all about, we become that. We become a copy in form and function, but not in terms of purpose and effectiveness and kingdom-mindedness. We see that at work in our lives if we keep on just doing the status quo and doing what is considered to be safe and normal. The preaching of the gospel always changes lives. In 1920s, maybe you learned about this in high school. Learned about in the 1920s, there was something called the Prohibition Era. And it was at actually a time in this country where Alcohol was illegal. You couldn't sell alcohol. You couldn't have alcohol in your home. And some of you might be a little nervous that I even said that. You're like, I can't imagine life without that. But there was a time in this country, in the 1920s, called Prohibition Era, because like, the, the government had outlawed alcohol. You know why that had happened? is because there was an evangelist named Billy Sunday, who was a former baseball player, that when he traveled from city to city, bars would close because people were getting saved and baptized, and they were leaving behind their, their addiction and their alcohol, and they were coming to Jesus in droves, so much so that things were starting to go out of business because of the effect that this evangelist had. So great was his influence that many people started to turn, the, the tide towards that started to turn in such a way that eventually the federal government says, you know what, alcohol is illegal. Now, did it stop alcohol from being illegal? No, of course not. Why? Because of a base nature of people, we will always get what we want, and we'll find a way to get it. That's how we got the rise of criminal organizations and Al Capone came to prominence during the 1920s. People by nature want what they want, regardless of whether it's legal or not. So we must keep that in mind. But the gospel can and has in the past changed lives and changed legislation and changed cities and regions for God's glory. These silversmiths might seem like They're concerned with people's spirituality. They might even seem like they're concerned about religion, but the truth is, they were really concerned with money. He even admitted in verse 25, Demetrius says, you know that we've made no small profit from this trade. You know that we've been prosperous because of this trade that we have. He and the other silversmiths didn't want to change because change meant they could no longer make money off of people. Kingdom of darkness will always create dependency on anything that is not of God. That's what it does. It creates dependency upon it so that it can continue a cycle and perpetuate a way of living that is unproductive and unhealthy. Kingdom of darkness creates bondage instead of freedom. It's driven by profit and not the good of mankind. Demetrius the silversmith claimed that if something wasn't done, the name of the goddess Diana would be despised and destroyed. He appealed to religion, but his real motivation was money. And think about it this way. If Diana is truly a goddess, why would she be in danger because of the preaching of a few disciples and apostles? If this really was a god, a goddess, shouldn't a goddess be able to take care of themselves and not have to worry about whether or not there's a certain number of statues sold, and if people, that if it could be undone as something as simple as a man speaking and preaching, what kind of a goddess is it? Truth is, it was a sham, a fraud, perpetuated in the name of religion to keep people dependent upon them. Idols are not gods, and Paul makes it clear from his letters to the churches that they are not gods at all, but rather tools that are used by the enemy to keep people in bondage. Galatians 4.8 says this. Paul says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. It's like you used to worship other gods, and they're not gods at all. You were slaves to them. You were bound to them. But Christ has set you free. Paul goes even further when he speaks to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 10.20. He goes so far to say, Rather The the things that the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. So Paul was talking about, you know, it used to go over a friend's house and a friend wasn't a Christian and they would have these feasts and these feasts to certain gods and goddesses and certain idols. He says, when you are eating with them and they're offering sacrifices to them, they're not statues, they're not gods, they're evil spirits pretending to be God. And so is perpetuating a bondage. Paul didn't set out to destroy the idol industry. That wasn't his goal. But when people found out they didn't need idols, they said, I don't need this anymore. They abandoned it and turned away from it. The kingdom of darkness is different than the kingdom of God. Not only by just simple descriptors, but think about it this way. The kingdom of God specializes in setting people free from bondage and fear and cycles and certain things that go over and over again. It is not the intent of the kingdom of God to keep you in the place that you are, but to rather to take you to where God wants you to be, to set you free so that you don't feel bound or burdened any longer, but that you can say, you know what? I'm free from the things that I thought that I needed. And the people of Ephesus no longer bought idols because they said, I don't need these things anymore. I know who God is because I've heard the gospel. The kingdom of God specializes in setting people free and spreading the word of the Lord and glorifying God. Remember, Paul's ministry in Ephesus was very fruitful. For two years, he made a difference in that area. And so and the church in Ephesus became one of the most important churches in Asia Minor. When Paul came, things began to change. And Paul had his heart set on Rome. He resolved and in purpose in his spirit that he would not be dissuaded by anything. But understand this, and you should write this down darkness doesn't go down without a fight. You just need to know that. Listen, anytime you want to do, listen, how many times have you been this, in this place in your life, in your place with your walk with God, where you say, you know what? It's gonna be different. I'm gonna be different this year. I'm not gonna do those things that I used to do. I'm not gonna say the things that I used to say. I've resolved to follow God and to serve Him only. And guess what? It gets real hard to do after that, doesn't it? All of a sudden, people start having problems with you that you didn't know that they even had problems with you in the first place. All of a sudden, your boss at work starts giving you static and grief. All of a sudden, you start fighting with your wife or your girlfriend or your boyfriend, and you don't understand why. Or all of a sudden, your car breaks down. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, the scriptures say that we should not be unwise to the devil's scheme. You think these things are coincidental? Do you think these things just sort of happen because, hey, you know what, like, you just have bad luck, which isn't a thing, by the way, but it's because you decided to do what's right, because you decided to follow God, and now the enemy realized he could be out of business, so guess what, he fights, he claws, he scratches, he bites, just like if you corner an animal that's wounded, he's going to fight against you. So what do we see? Verses 29 through 34 of chapter 19. You still with me? No. Half of you. Great. That's wonderful. The rest of you should have been at home with Coco. <laughs> we love you, though. Take a look at verses 29 through 34. It says that the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, and having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's travel companions, And when Paul wanted to go to the people, look at this, the disciples would not allow him. And then some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him, pleading that he would not go into the theater. And some therefore cried one thing and some another. And the assembly was confused. And look at this. And most of them did not know why they even come together. And then they drew Alexander out of the multitude. And the Jews put him forward. And Alexander motions with his hand wanting to make his defense to the people. But when they found out he was a Jew, they with all with one voice cried out for two hours straight, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So like, they wouldn't even let this guy talk. I want you to think about this. A large crowd gathers and shouts angrily. The amphitheater in Ephesus, where this crowd was gathered, is said to hold 25,000 people. And the crowd seizes a couple of Paul's friends. But fortunate for them, they are Macedonians, they're Gentiles, like them, so the risk to them is not as great as if they were Jews. Now, the Apostle Paul, concerned for his friends, wanted to go into the amphitheater and say something, but his fellow disciples and friends who held the influence in the city advised him not to. Now, this is really interesting, or at least it is to me. It might not be interesting to you. It's really interesting because the conflict between darkness and light, there are times where you have to determine what battles you want to fight and which ones you want to let go. I want to say that again. In your battle with darkness, there are times in the war with darkness, you have to determine there are some battles that you have to fight and some battles that you need to let go. They say, well, Pastor, that doesn't make any sense. You were talking about dismantling the kingdom of darkness. How can you dismantle the kingdom of darkness when you're sitting on the sidelines and you don't get involved? But I want you to think about this. Paul wanted to defend his friends and convince the people that what he was doing was good. But the crowd was so violent and enraged, That there was a real risk to paul's safety here it is possible that paul could have been killed by this angry mob and after the advisement and pleading of his friends he decided not to go instead trusting god to work it out paul leaves the area and gets to safety listen not every battle the enemy tries to draw you into requires you to fight sometimes the battle's a distraction you ever notice that in military strategy one of my favorite stories is from World War II the, on, Norman, uh, on the Battle of, of Normandy on D-Day that Hitler was uh, focused, he wasn't focused on the shores of France where the invasion force was coming, but the Americans and the British had set up General Patton across the English Channel with an army of inflatable tanks. and and Jeeps and all sorts of things that they had gotten from, like, a production company that does movies. And because it was Patton, and Patton had such a reputation to him that Hitler was absolutely sure that the attack was going to come from across the English Channel, completely ignoring what was happening at the Battle of Normandy on D-Day. Because he was fixated on the wrong thing. He was distracted. And eventually, part of the reason why the Allied forces won that day was because he was distracted. And I'm not saying we should be like Hitler, okay? Don't, understand, don't misunderstand me or misquote me here. But realize that the enemy's tactic is to distract. To get our focus off onto things that we shouldn't really get involved in at all. I'll give you some examples. On Facebook, there might be a battle brewing between you and your family members. Or you and a coworker, Or you and a friend that you went to high school with. You can either engage in that battle or you can say, you know what? That's just not worth it. Can I encourage you to say that's just not worth it? <laughs> not like right now, but okay. I encourage just like, okay, it's not worth getting into because it's going to distract and it's going to uh, take you away from what's really important in the situation. If Paul gets killed in Ephesus, then his work stops. Don't lose the battle. At the expense of the war. Bow with the kingdom of darkness. The devil bring distractions and diversions to try and bring about your destruction. But determine not to lose the war at the expense of one battle. Stay focused on what God wants you to do and trust God to work it out. Listen, not everything requires our hand. Forcing it, pushing it, kicking the door open. It doesn't. Sometimes there are times where in our in our life and in our struggles where God's gonna work something out and you just simply have to trust that he's gonna work it out. Now I'm not talking about just being lazy and not doing anything. That's not godly, that's not what I'm talking about. Instead, what I'm talking about is doing what God wants you to do and not getting involved in the things that he doesn't want you to get involved with. Paul's like, but my friends are there. They're like, don't get involved in that. Because if you die, the work stops. The churches don't have a leader discipleship discontinues. You never get to Rome. So you don't need to deal with this. Let God take care of that. And so we see that Paul actually takes that advice, gets to safety. So what happens in Ephesus? There's a riot brewing. There's an amphitheater full of people who have no idea why they're there, which, by the way, that's the way crowds work, it's the way riots work. People say there's a group going. How many times have you driven past something, like you're driving past like a traffic jam, and you drive by it, and immediately everybody stops. And they want to see what's going on over there. How many times have you been in traffic on, nine, on the Mass Pike? And you're like, there must be some serious accident up ahead. Or 84. And you drive past and you realize it's just people that were looking. It's just not minding their business. So when we see a crowd, like when we walk through like, the town, or if we're driving through town, and we see like, a bunch of people like, gathered in the Main Street, we're like, what's going on? And we, we're drawn to it. Like moss to a flame. And most people don't even know why they're there. People shouting, there's commotion going on. So, like, it looks like this this whole city is going to erupt into a major riot. So, who saves the day? How does it all get worked out? A city clerk. Being honest with you, it's like, so who saves the day? The city clerk. You know? So I want you to think about this like, you know, it's like, okay, we're talking about the book of Acts, and like, well, wasn't there some massive deliverance? Didn't didn't Paul call fire down from heaven and then, like, all of a sudden it it silenced all the critics and everything like that? No, the city clerk came in and said, hey, you shouldn't be really getting together here. Let's take a look at it because it's kind of funny when you think about it how God chooses to work things out. And we often think to say, well, I got to make something happen. I got to do something here. Otherwise, it's going to get really bad. But there are times where we have to trust God's going to work it out. And he's going to work it, God's working behind the scenes even when we can't see it. Take a look at verse 35. It says, When the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there that doesn't know that the city of Eph- the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana? And the image that fell down from Zeus, which, by the way, they believe that this temple here, that a meteor fell into Ephesus, and they built a temple around it, considering and thinking that a goddess fell from the sky. Verse 36. Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly, for you have brought these men who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have cause against case against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring their charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined by the lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called into question for today's uproar, and there being no reason in which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. City clerk shows up, um, this is not legal. <laughs> well, you shouldn't be here and if you want to file a complaint here's the form form 21b fill this form out go to the proconsul go to the courts and then file your complaint that way and isn't it interesting that like just like that everybody goes oh i guess i should go home now it disperses huge crowd yelling and shouting people didn't even know why they were there and anytime there's a commotion like that when there's a riot like that it gets the attention of the local government And the city clerk basically says to him, listen, what's the cause of all this commotion? These men didn't steal. Paul did not steal from your temple. He didn't blaspheme the name of your goddess. So now quiet down and disperse. Saying to Demetrius that if they have concern, you can take it up or be heard before the proconsul. Now, what that means is that if you've got a problem, you can take it to the Roman governor. Oh, well, (laughs) never mind. I'm I'm fine now. (laughs) Because no one wanted to appear before the Roman governor, to decide their case. Because Roman governors and proconsuls, as you can remember from the story of Jesus' crucifixion, that they really don't want to be bothered by you at all. Like most government officials. Sorry, Doug Moglin and others, that's not entirely true. But most people don't want to be bothered by, you know, people who have a riot or a complaint or a difficulty or those sort of things. So in a sense, what the guy's saying is like, listen, if you got a problem, take it to the courts, take it to the governor. And let him figure it out. And they go, "Ah, I don't want to do that. That's too much trouble. A ride would have been much more fun. So they just give up and they go on their way. I promise you that this has nothing to do with what happened this month. I did not choose this verse. I promise you, okay? So one of the things, the one who saved the day was the city clerk. And he said, you know, listen, if we don't break this up, you're going to get the attention of Rome. And then they're going to come and they're going to lock things down. They're going to arrest people and it's not going to be a great situation. So they all get up and leave. So let God work some things out. If the work of God got you into trouble, let the Spirit of God get you out of it. If the work of God got you into trouble, let the Spirit of God get you out of it. Listen, anytime time you do things for God, people are going to notice and some are not going to be happy. And they're going to cause problems for you. Listen to the story of any countless missionaries who talk about their time on the foreign field and how... Villages came against them, and certain people came against them, and how their name was slandered, and different things happened. Anytime you do things for God's kingdom, there's always going to be opposition. Why? Because one kingdom is going out of business, and the other one's thriving. So anytime you start cutting into that, and Satan's prophet is people, by the way. He doesn't care about the wealth of this world. He cares about the soul of every individual that he could take with him into destruction. So his prophet is people. That's what he wants. But when we start changing the hearts of people through the kingdom of God, then we start taking away from that bottom line. We start cutting into his prophets, and we start seeing God's work expand and to continue to grow and to gain influence and power and grace, and the glory of God goes to him. And so understand that God receives all the glory for those moments where we see him at work in his people. Let God work things out. If he brought you into it, he'll get you out of it. And he will often get you out of it through the least likely of people. If you read in 2 Chronicles 20, we're not going to turn there today, but just jot it down, the story of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, and he heard word that three armies are coming to destroy the kingdom of Judah. And so you know what he did? He prayed, he asked God what to do, and you know what God told him to do? Worship. Like, God, that's not really a strategy. (laughs) Oh, but it is. To worship in the middle of war, to worship in the middle of your difficulties, that is a strategy. And so God says to them, listen, I want you to go out and meet this army, I want you to send the choir first, and send the priests first. I'm sure the worship team was real thrilled with that, that they get to be on the front lines, and they get to be the first line of defense against the enemy that's coming their way, but they're sent out first. It says while they were worshipping, while they were going to meet this three-nation army, it says along the way the three-nation army had a disagreement with each other and they killed each other. So that by the time this worshipping army with their tambourines and with their trumpets and with all their other things and their singing arrived there, they were there just in time to see that the battlefield is strewn with all the enemies of their dead. And they come there just to loot, (laughs) to pick up the spoils of war having never picked up a sword and fought, but had trusted God and proclaimed praise in the middle of their battle, in the middle of their circumstance. Listen, God brings about deliverance through the most unlikely of scenarios. Could Jehoshaphat have even imagined that these armies that were set on destroying Judah would kill each other? Not in a million years, but God is at work and working in circumstances and situations that you can't even imagine. The threat and challenge went away because God was working behind the scenes. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. So how do we put the kingdom of darkness out of business? How many know that the kingdom of darkness is alive and well? We see it all around us. We see it at work in various branches of government. We see it at work in the businesses that thrive in this country as we export the worst kind of things to the world that we live in. We see it at work all around us. Their business is alive and well. So how do we put the kingdom of darkness out of business? Well, first and foremost, and you can write this down. Number one, pray. Like, Pastor, that's not really a point. I get praying. I know we get it, but do we do it? Because prayer is a powerful tool in the hands of the believer. First and foremost, it's communication with God. Secondly, it's a connection to his power. Look at prayer as communication with your creator. Secondly, through preaching and sharing, never doubt the power of the word of God to bring conviction and change in the life of a person. Hebrews 4 tells us that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and judges the innermost thoughts and attitudes. So the word of God, when it's preached, can change lives. When they hear it, it can bring conviction Salvation. But perhaps thirdly and most importantly, if you want to put the kingdom of darkness out of business, you have to stop buying what they're selling. It's true. We don't have idols of wood, stone, gold, or silver anymore. but There are things that we worship and can't seem to do without, am I right? If I were to tell you, what could you do without? And you're like, there's one thing I just can't do without. And you can name it. It's a person, it's a job, it's a substance, it's something. And if you can't do without it, even if God said to you, do without it, that's an idol. It takes the place of worship in your life. Believers must do away with these things. They gotta, in order to put the kingdom of darkness out of business, you got to say, I don't need that anymore. 1 John 3, 7-9 through 9 says this. It says, little children, let no one deceive you, speaking to us, that he who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, or God, is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was made manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil, amen? amen. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his sin his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. So, if we are of God, then we don't participate in the things of the other side. We don't engage in those things. We don't worship those things. We're not tied up with those things. To put the kingdom of darkness out of business, we've got to stop buying what they're selling and actively work for the Lord who came to destroy the works of the devil as the worshiping kind of starts to play in the background, as I wrap this message, you know, I think about this. We've got to say in our heart, I'm not buying what the devil's selling anymore. If you've been paying attention for the last few weeks, there has been fear like you've never seen before. Fear of what's going to happen in the future. Fear over, like, what's going to happen with this administration, what's going to happen with our country. What's going to happen with this virus there is fear like you would not believe right now and you know what we're doing we're consuming it we're partaking of it we're allowing it to become part of us we see outrage people angry all the time angry about everything people upset about what's being voted on what's not being voted on policies that are being put through what people are doing what people are saying people fighting with each other on twitter dumb things happening all around us and we find ourselves buying into an outrage. We hate junk food, but we're consuming it. We're saying, pile some more this way. I'm so upset by this, but yet I want to consume more of it. And sometimes we have to just shut it off and say, I've had enough. I'm not buying what's being sold to me anymore. There's a desire for control. The things we can't control, we say, well, I'm going to change this, I'm going to do that. We have a desire that we want to be in control of our own destinies. We want to shape things and change things and manipulate things to the way that we want them to be. But that's not giving God control. That's asserting our own control. This world sells selfish desires. You know that money can be a God too? Obsession with profit. Obsession with being a workaholic. Obsession with gambling, or whether it be the stock market, or it's making money, that thing can drive you to the point that it becomes the most important thing in your life. The kingdom of this world sells selfish desires, too, pleasure and escape, make me feel good, whether it be sex or whether it be entertainment. There's no end to things that are keeping, that are pushed out every single day in front of us and we as christians we can uh, if we're not careful we can allow ourselves to become callous to the things that we see and the things that we watch and the things that we listen to to the degree that we're allowing that do you realize today that as we participate in those things we're keeping that engine running we're keeping that business whether it be pornography whether it be entertainment whether it be the, the drug culture whether it be you know Uh, Music that's propagating certain ideals. We are keeping them in business by participating in that. And we're thinking to ourselves, well, you know, it's like I'm just struggling with this. What we're doing is we're keeping that business in business. Would God change our hearts today that we would be different? Selling the desire for power, seeking fame, seeking influence. These are things that the world craves after and chases after, but the servant of God, the son and daughter of God doesn't chase after those things because they realize God's in control and the desire is not to make our name great, but to make his name great. And when we have that as our perspective, it changes everything. Change happens when we realize that all we need is found in Jesus and everything else is a poor substitute. In order to be active in one kingdom, we need to avoid another. In order to be active in one kingdom, we need to avoid the other. If We want to be active for God's kingdom. We've got to say, I'm throwing away these idols and these things that I thought I needed, and deciding to truly follow God and put him first in all things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just pray today. Work on our hearts. Change us so, God, from... Everyone that's watching at home, to those that are seated here, I pray that you'd put your finger on the things that we need to get rid of. Lord, that anything that competes with you, Lord, doesn't put you first. It puts other things in front of you. It can't be Jesus and. It has to be you first. And as we seek first the kingdom of God in your righteousness, all the other things, the good things that we are inherently desired in us, Lord, will eventually come to us. Seek first the kingdom and all this, all the rest will be added to us. So I pray today, work in each person within the sound of my voice today that you would begin to lay on their heart the things that need to be gotten rid of, the idols that need to be removed and a newfound devotion and commitment to you. Lord, work in us as we seek your face. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.